A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens Read by Tony Turner The First of the Three Spirits When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, and from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve. It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible that anything has happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing-gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and that there was no noise of people running to and fro, and making a great stir, as there unquestionably would have been if night had beaten off bright day and taken possession of the world. Scrooge went to bed again, and thought and thought and thought it over and over and over, and could make nothing of it. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chimes had gone three-quarters more, when he remembered on a sudden that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and, considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. Ding-dong! The quarter passed, said Scrooge, counting. Ding-dong, half-past, said Scrooge. Ding-dong, a quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding-dong, hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow melancholy. One. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn by a hand. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. 
It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white, as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. But the strangest thing about it was that, from the crown of its head, there sprung a bright, clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. Uh, "'Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me?' asked Scrooge. "'I am.' The voice was soft and gentle singularly low, as if, instead of being so close beside him, it were at a distance. "'Who and what are you?' Scrooge demanded. "'I am the ghost of Christmas past.' "'Long past?' inquired Scrooge. "'No, your past.' He then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. "'Your welfare,' said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, but could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, "'Your reclamation, then.' It put out its strong hand as it spoke, and clasped him gently by the arm. "'Rise, and walk with me.' The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made towards the window, clasped his robe in supplication. I am mortal, and, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall, and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. "'Good heaven!' said Scrooge, clasping his hands together as he looked about him. "'I was bred in this place. I was a boy here.' The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Its gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odours floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. "'You recollect the way?' inquired the spirit. "'Remember it?' cried Scrooge with fervour. I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years, observed the ghost. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognising every gate and post and tree, 
until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them, with boys upon their backs, who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits, and shouted to each other, until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. "'These are but shadows of the things that have been,' said the ghost. "'They have no consciousness of us.' The jocund travellers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why must he rejoice beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas, what good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane, and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick, with a little weathercock surmounted cupola on the roof, and a bell hanging in it. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used, their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken and their gates decayed. Nor was it more retented of its ancient state within, for entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold and vast. They went, the ghost and Scrooge, across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these a lonely boy was reading, near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading, Suddenly a man, in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look at, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in its belt, and leading by the bridle an ass laden with wood. "'Why, it's Ali Baba!' Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. "'It's dear old honest Ali Baba! Yes, yes, I know!' One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, he did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy. And Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother, Orson. <laughs> there they go. And what's his name, who was put down in his drawers asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the Sultan's groom turned upside down by the genii? There he is upon his head. Serve him right. I'm glad of it. What business had he to be married to the princess? To hear Scrooge expending all the earnestness of his nature on such subjects, 
in a most extraordinary voice between laughing and crying, and to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city, indeed. Poor boy. Yeah, I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Uh, no, nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There, there was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I, I should like to have given him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so, Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked lathes were shown instead. There he was, alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost, and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in, and putting her arms about his neck and often kissing him, addressed him as her "'Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home,' said the child, clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. <laughs> to, to, "'To bring you home, home, home!' "'Home, little Fran,' returned the boy. "'Yes,' said the child, brimming with glee. "'Home for good and all! Home for ever and ever! "'Father is so much kinder than he used to be that home's like heaven!' He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home, and he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you, and you ought to be a man, said the child, and are never to come back here. But first we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. You are quite a woman, little Fran, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but, being too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him, in her childish eagerness, towards the door, and he, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, "'Bring down Master Scrooge's box there!' And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condescension and threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. Master Scrooge's trunk being by this time tied on to the top of the chaise, the children bade the schoolmaster good-bye right willingly, and getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar-frost and snow from off the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. "'Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered,' said the ghost. "'But she had a large heart.' "'So she had,' cried Scrooge. "'You're right. I'll not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid.' "'She died a woman,' said the ghost. 
and had, as I think, children. One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost, your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly. Yes. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city, where shadowy passengers passed and repassed. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops, that here too it was Christmas time again, but it was evening and the streets were lighted up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door, and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Knew it? said Scrooge. I was apprenticed here. They went in. At sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind such a high desk that, if he had been two inches taller, he must have knocked his head against the ceiling, Scrooge cried in great excitement, "'Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig alive again!' Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands adjusted his capacious waistcoat, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, "'Yo, ho there, Ebenezer, Dick!' Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow prentice. "'Dick Wilkins, to be sure,' said Scrooge to the ghost. "'Bless me, yes, there he is!' He was very much attached to me, was Dick. Poor Dick. <laughs> dear, dear. Yo-ho, my boys, said Fezziwick. No more work tonight. <laughs> Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. <laughs> Let's have the shutters up, cried old Fezziwick. The sharp clap of his hands before a man can say, Jack Robinson. You wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. They charged into the street with the shutters. One, two, three. Had them up in their places four, five, six. Barred them and pinned them seven, eight, nine. And came back before you could have got to twelve, panting like racehorses. Hilly ho! cried old Fizzywick, skipping down from the high desk with wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly ho, Dick! Chin up, Ebenezer! clear away? There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away, or couldn't have cleared away, with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off as if it were dismissed from public for life for evermore. The floor was swept and watered, the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see on a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music-book, and went up to the lofty desk, and made an orchestra of it, and tuned like fifty stomach-aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In came the boy from over the way, 
who was suspected of not having bored enough from his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from next door but one, who was proved to have had her ears pulled by her mistress. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went, twenty couple at once, hands half round and back again the other way, down the middle and up again, round and round, in various stages of affectionate grouping, old top couple always turning up in the wrong place, new top couple starting off again as soon as they got there, all top couples at last and not a bottom one to help them. When this result was brought about, old Fezziwig, clapping his hands to stop the dance, cried out, well, well done! <laughs> there were more dances, and there were forfeits, and more dances, and there was cake, and there was nagus, and there was a great piece of cold roast, and there were mince pies, and plenty of beer. But the great effect of the evening came after the roast and boiled, and old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what would have become of them next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance, advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle and back again to your place, Fezziwig cut, cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two prentices, they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene, and with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him, while the light burned upon his head very clear. "'A small matter,' said the ghost, "'to make these silly folk so full of gratitude.' "'Small!' echoed Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices, who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig, and when he had done so said, "'Why?' He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark and speaking unconsciously like his former, not his latter self. It isn't that, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing in particular, 
said Scrooge. Something, I think, the ghost insisted. No, said Scrooge. I, no, I, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick. This was not addressed to Scrooge, or to any one whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, she said softly. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? he rejoined. A golden one. <laughs> this is the even-handed dealing of the world, he said. There is nothing on it which is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, gain, engrosses you. What then? he retorted. Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you. She shook her head. Our contract is an old one. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Tell me, would you seek me out and try and win me now? Can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? I release you, with a full heart, for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Bid it, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more, exclaimed the ghost. No more, cried Scrooge. No more, I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another scene and place, a room not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like that last that Scrooge believed it was the same, until he saw her, now a comely matron, sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge, in his agitated state of mind, could count. Now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she, with laughing face and plundered dress, was borne towards it, the centre of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. Then the shouting and the struggling and the onslaught that was made on the defenceless porter scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, despoil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight by his cravat, hug him round his neck, pommel his back, and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, 
Remove me from this place. I told you there were shadows of things that have been, said the ghost. Remove me. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which in some strange way there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him, wrestled with it. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. In the struggle he seized the extinguisher cap, and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and of being in his own bedroom, and had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep.